1: I was working on my foundation and the first thing that we're thinking of is how do we start raising money to start making things happen? One of our board members, father was associated with Jerry Falwell up until this past year. I had no idea who the Falwells were or anything about them whatsoever.
2: In the summer of 2020, Corey Lynn Bailey was trying to raise money to start a nonprofit foundation when she learned that her business partner had a connection to someone who could help, Jerry Falwell Jr. The Falwells were like the royal family of conservative Christianity. So Corey Lynn and her business partner made plans to meet up with the Falwells in Memphis as they began their family vacation. When the Falwells
1: landed in Memphis, They came in on a private jet, and they immediately got whisked away to go to meet with Jerry Lee Lewis.
2: Corey Lynn's business partner's father lived in town, and he'd arranged for a get-together for the Falwells to meet rock and roll legend Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry Falwell Jr. is a big fan of Lewis and his 1957 classic, Great balls of fire.
3: Come <laughs> on, <laughs> That's the first song I ever sang in front of anybody.
4: Let it
2: <laughs> While Jerry Falwell Jr. was singing to Jerry Lee Lewis, Corey Lynn was waiting for the family back at the Peabody Hotel.
1: I had made dinner arrangements inside of the hotel for everyone, including the grandkids, and everybody came.
2: Dinner seemed to Corey Lynn like the perfect time to pitch her nonprofit foundation.
1: I want to tell them about this amazing foundation and what we're doing. But I think that they looked at this trip as I'm going to relax and chill and have a great time. And then the alcohol started flowing.
2: Falwell Jr. was the president of Liberty University, one of the world's largest evangelical Christian schools, and Liberty students are expected to follow a strict moral code called the Liberty Way, or face consequences. Drinking alcohol, for example, will result in a $500 fine, 30 hours of community service, and potential expulsion employees are also expected to hold themselves to the standard of the Liberty Way or face potential termination.
1: I mean, I didn't know they had all the rules that they have. It was very apparent that both Jerry and Becky had had way too much to drink. I guess if they're not allowed to drink, well, that's out the window.
2: Corey Lynn didn't drink at all that night, but she decided to pick up the dinner tab.
1: I remember hearing Becky say, wait, we're the millionaires. We're the ones always paying we're not used to people paying for us. Like what in the world? And so Jerry was very excited about that. So Jerry got up to give me a behind hug and he did come and try to kiss me on the lips. And I kind of joked and laughed it off. I'm like, ah, and turned my head. And he did give me a kiss on the cheek. And he was like, did y'all see that? Did you see her turn her cheek? It was very weird for me.
2: After the group left the restaurant, Most of them continued on to the hotel lobby for more drinks. So Corey Lynn took a seat across from Jerry's wife, Becky Falwell, who she says was speaking with a young musician.
1: Becky was very friendly in the way that she talked with him, asking about his music and she was rubbing his back. And she said, take her cell phone number and call her and she can help. And then she's like laying her head on the back of his shoulder. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, my husband would kill me.
2: But Corey Lynn says Jerry Falwell's focus was elsewhere.
1: I noticed three girls that I've never seen before. One of the young ladies knew my business partner's father. And Jerry's face did not leave that young lady's chest.
2: And then... Corey Lynn says her attention was drawn to one of the girls as well.
1: All I heard was, I'll take the picture. And I look and I see my business partner hoisting this young girl's boobs up. And her father's got the camera to take the picture. And I see Jerry go headfirst into the boobs. And so my friends underneath, like, holding the boobs up while Jerry's face is in the boobs. And they all laughed about it. But Becky came unglued. I mean, unglued. All Becky kept saying is, you know what happened before. You know what this shit caused before. This cannot get out. We cannot go through this again. You better get it off that phone, Jerry, and you better delete it off that phone. So it became a war over this girl's phone. So while we're battling to get this picture deleted, Jerry's now walking around and all we hear him saying is, Do y'all know who I am? I know Trump. I've got him on speed dial. While we're trying to put out the fire of the shitstorm he just caused.
2: Corey Lynn says that as the lobby bar was getting ready to close, the group thinned out.
1: I saw the three young ladies and my friend's father go to the elevators. Then Jerry came over to Becky and said, I need to go take my medicine. I did not see Jerry again for the rest of the night. Fast forward, they're no longer serving. And Becky, in front of everyone, is calling our server, this young lady, a bitch. Excuse me, bitch, bitch, I need alcohol. Hello, you need to get me alcohol. And as we were walking out, there was a couple, and they had their own alcohol sitting at the table. And my friend and Becky joined them at the table and was like, hey, my name's Becky, and starts drinking their alcohol. My friend says something about Tito's, and they were like, oh, we have that up in our room. So off we go to two women's rooms, inside the room, random strangers. I mean, all I could think of is, you've got to be kidding me. I am so tired. Becky is falling against the wall. It was awful. And I'm mortified. We end up finally getting Becky to her room, and Jerry's not there. I don't know where Jerry is. I just know that the next day, when we were all downstairs in the lobby that morning, Becky said, Jerry better not have gone into some girl's room. I just thought that was really weird, right? I was like, well, that's bizarre.
2: That night, the group had dinner together again, where Jerry Falwell Jr. called Jerry Lee Lewis and conferenced him in with someone he had waiting on hold.
3: This is Jerry Falwell. Could you put Jerry Lee on the phone? I got the president on line. Hey, hey, Mr. President, Jerry Lee is a, is the nicest person you'll ever want to meet. Jerry, Lee's the greatest. Jerry Lee, you are the greatest. I tell you, so it's, it's great to speak to you, Jerry. How you doing? Thank you very much. Um, he he's got he's. He, 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 we went over to his house and I played a song for him that my buddy and I recorded, "Great Balls of Fire," and he actually he actually said we did good. I never sang before in my life. <laughs>
2: Jerry Falwell Jr. was at the height of his power and stood at the nexus of religion, education, and politics in America. He and his family and friends continued their vacation the following week, taking the Liberty Jet to Florida to party aboard a donor's mega-yacht. But just one month later, a bombshell story hit the news, and the party was over.
5: This is a
0: scandal that seems to grow deeper and wider by the day for a man who was once at the top of his game in Christian conservative circles.
2: Becky Falwell was having a sexual relationship with a young man, a hotel pool boy, who claimed that Jerry sat in the room and watched them. And that was the match that ignited the fire that would not only burn the Falwells, but Liberty University as well. And after years of keeping silent, many like Corey Lynn, are telling their stories for the first time.
4: As soon as you put censorship on something, it blows up.
2: I remember thinking, like, this can't be real. This can't be. People have just given up on Christianity because of how they've been treated.
6: It wasn't Liberty University. It was Jerry's University.
0: Money. I mean, it really did come down to money constantly. That was the decision
1: maker. For the Falwells, it's unfortunate that their life is played out in public, but... Everything that I ended up reading all matched every single thing that I saw in terms of behavior.
2: As of this episode, we've spoken with more than 80 people and counting. Former and current students, faculty, staff, high-ranking administrators, friends, and those with intimate knowledge of Falwell Jr. and Liberty University business. And what has emerged is the most clear picture yet of greed, hypocrisy fear politics sex power religion and of course money from C13 originals a Cadence 13 studio I'm Andrew Jenks and this is gangster capitalism season 3 Jerry Falwell jr and Liberty University.
7: They said it couldn't be done. They say it bordered on impossible. When someone says I can't do something, I usually agree with them.
8: (laughs) And now, against all odds, this completely mediocre comedy podcast has done the unthinkable. They got listeners.
4: We got listeners! No way. Amazing!
8: Now available on the Odyssey app or wherever you listen to podcasts.
7: I'm so happy we're at Odyssey now. Oh my
8: God, they're amazing. The Commercial Break Podcast. You heard it here last.
0: Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to
3: the Comments by Celebs podcast.
0: I'm Emma. I'm Julie. And I'm Isabel. Together, we run Comments by Celebs on Instagram and host the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture.
1: Whether it's creating hypothetical scenarios, dissecting the latest trends, or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We
0: start the week with a full-blown pop culture breakdown, analyzing all of the biggest headlines. Next, we discuss all things Kardashians. Recapping current episodes or taking a trip down memory lane to relive some of their iconic moments from the past.
1: And for our final episode of the week, we serve you a full Bravo breakdown. From recaps of Housewives, Vanderpump Rules, Summer House, and more, if it's going on in the Bravo world, we've got it covered. We have
0: new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Hey, buddy. How are you? Happy Fourth of July. Happy Independence Day. Same to you. Same to you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Tell me, what are you doing about the, uh, for the Fourth of July? Well, we, uh, me and the kids, we went down to Paul Springs for a few days. And,
2: uh... It sounds like a conversation between two old friends. This is comedian, actor, and podcast host Tom Arnold.
5: Yeah, you know, it's not Iowa where we could get a million things and... Uh...
2: Tom also had a TV show called The Hunt for the Trump Tapes, where he tried to uncover damaging behind-the-scenes footage from Trump's TV show, The Apprentice.
5: ...a million dollars' worth of fireworks, and they're really cool.
2: This is a part of several conversations that Tom surreptitiously recorded between he and Donald Trump's former personal attorney and fixer, Michael Cohen, over the course of more than one year, beginning in March of 2019. Arnold gave the recordings to gangster capitalism. Here's Tom Arnold.
5: I had a resentment against Michael Cohen. Plus, I knew Michael Cohen knows everything. When Trump didn't bring Michael Cohen into the White House, Michael Cohen's feelings were so hurt. In the Christmas of 2016, Michael Cohen was like literally suicidal that he wasn't going in. So he said, I'm going to go up on top of the Regency Hotel and jump off of it. In the spring of 2017, the FBI raided him, but then he was in trouble with Trump. And so he's turning on Trump. And that's when I thought, oh, I got to go to New York, and I got to go to the Regency. And I'm not leaving there until, A, I run into him, and B, he completely turns on Trump. I knew Michael Cohen would be the key.
2: So Arnold camped out in the lobby of the Regency Hotel in New York until he ran into Michael Cohen.
5: I didn't know how it was gonna be. It turned out to be very cordial. He knows me, he knows what I'm up to, he knows what I am to Trump. Michael Cohen trusted me because he knew that Trump hated me 100%. And he knew that I was 100% out to get Trump. I mean, there's no half measures. Michael knew that if he was seen with me, there's no ambivalence in that. That would upset Trump. That would upset everybody over there in the White House. And he knew what he was doing. So part of him wanted to cause trouble. And that's how he thought he could get respect. And so I knew that about him, too. I know, oh, he's in on this, too. He needs me as much as I need him.
2: As their call continues, Cohen relates to Arnold what his relationship with Trump and testifying about it to Congress has cost him.
8: After over 100 hours of testimony, right, including seven and a half hours of being beaten up on national television, you know, international television, you know, you would think that you would have folks, you know, stepping up and saying, you know what, Um, this guy's lost everything. Yeah. I mean, everything. My, you know, my family's happiness, my law license, um, you know, I lost, you know, I lost my business, I lost, you know, everything everything my insurance my bank accounts all all for, all for what I'm a man all alone right and I shouldn't I shouldn't be alone anymore so there's a lot of crap that's going on and I'm just disappointed Daryl
5: doesn't speak to me anymore um even the who I brought to the table
2: yes you um, did you did
8: was wanted to support you.
2: if you didn't catch that last statement, Michael Cohen says he brought the Falwells to the table and that none of the evangelicals wanted to support Trump. In order to fully understand both the meaning of that statement and the power of Jerry Falwell Jr., we'll begin with Dr. Randall Balmer, a historian and professor at Dartmouth College who specializes in evangelicalism in America.
6: The name Jerry Falwell resonates with a lot of evangelicals, particularly those who are aligned with the religious right, uh, in large measure because Jerry Falwell Sr. was the, the most visible proponent and spokesman for the religious right beginning in the late 1970s.
3: I personally believe that most ministers in this country now have accepted the onus, the responsibility
5: of rendering not only to God that which is God's, but to Caesar that which is Caesar's, namely good government.
2: It's hard to overstate Jerry Falwell Sr.'s impact on evangelicalism and politics. A famous pastor, televangelist, and conservative activist, he began the political movement known as the Moral Majority, which helped to elect Ronald Reagan in 1980. He also founded Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, back in 1971. And when he died in 2007, his son Jerry Jr. took over the mantle both as Liberty's president and, in many ways, as the face of the religious right. There's something to a genealogy,
6: right? Certainly, Jerry Falwell Jr. was trading on his very famous name, and he understood that anything that he said uh, carried with it a certain amount of uh, weight and influence within the evangelical world.
2: During the run-up to the 2016 Republican presidential nomination, Falwell Jr.'s was among the most sought-after endorsements, with candidates falling over themselves to get it.
4: Everybody in 2016 wanted Jerry Falwell as one of their principal evangelical endorsements as a bona fides into that community.
2: This is Rick Tyler, the communications director for Ted Cruz's 2016 presidential campaign.
4: Early in 2015, we had decided as a campaign that we needed to break out, and we weighed the possibility of announcing early. It's an easy way to break out because reporters are hungry for presidential stories. There's nobody in the race, so everything's all speculation. And so we calculated that if we actually went out early, we would have a very positive effect. And we had a strategy that was basically similar to basketball bracketology. It's actually a strategy that Ted Cruz came up with. And it divided the Republican Party into four distinct constituency groups. One was the conservative wing. One was the establishment wing. One was the libertarian wing. And one was the evangelical wing. So the idea of bracketology was win your zone and then you advance to the next team, Right. And I knew Jerry Falwell enough that I had his phone number, could call him. And I called Jerry, and he was very excited because he had been long wanting to be influential in politics. It's a difficult thing because they're in Lynchburg, Virginia. And if you know Virginia, it's a very rural community in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. So it's not an easy place to get to. So having proximity to power from Lynchburg is difficult, except for the fact that they are the largest Christian school in the world. So I called Jerry and I asked him if it would be okay if we announced, and he seemed very excited about it.
2: So on March 23rd, 2015, Jerry Falwell Jr. introduced Ted Cruz to the Liberty students.
3: As you know, Liberty University does not support or oppose candidates for public office, and Senator Cruz's appearance here should not be interpreted by any as an endorsement of his candidacy. So please join me in welcoming back to Liberty University, Senator Ted Cruz. Thank you
4: so much, President Falwell. God bless Liberty University. It is a time for truth. It is a time for liberty. It is a time to reclaim the Constitution of the United States.
2: But the Cruz campaign had to be careful. Liberty is a nonprofit organization. And that means they're prohibited from being affiliated with any political campaign or activity.
4: There's a lot of rules we had to follow. And so we couldn't hand out any materials at all. But it didn't really matter because we weren't trying to win Virginia voters at that time. What we were trying to do is put an imprint of the campaign into the evangelical world make an identity connection, that this is Ted Cruz, he's a Baptist, he's an evangelical, he attends church just like you do, and here we are all together, and he's announcing him for president at your school. So it worked out very,
2: very well. Later, after his announcement at Liberty, the Cruz campaign felt confident that they'd earned the all-important Falwell Jr. endorsement.
4: On a phone call to Rafael Cruz, Ted's father, Raphael assured me and others on the team that Falwell had committed that he was going to endorse. And so I called Falwell and asked him if he would do it that day, like, let's just get it over with. And he demurred. He said, look, my board is not going to allow me to endorse in this presidential campaign, so I'm going to take their advice and not endorse. And I was truly disappointed, but what could I do? And so I told my team that we don't have his endorsement.
2: Falwell told Tyler that his endorsement of a president could give the appearance of the school endorsing a president, and that could risk their nonprofit status. He was going to steer clear. Then, on January 18th, 2016, Donald Trump came to Liberty.
3: Good morning. Thank you for braving the cold and the uh, and the wind this morning, and we. We uh, are so honored to have all of you here in attendance, but it is my distinct honor and privilege to welcome back to Liberty University a man who I introduced in 2012 as one of the greatest visionaries of our time. As our friendship has grown, so has my admiration for Mr. Trump. Matthew 7:16 tells us that by their fruits, you shall know them. Donald Trump's life has borne fruit. In my opinion, Donald Trump lives a life of loving and helping others as Jesus taught in the great commandment. I said on Sean Hannity's show in December that I see a lot of parallels between my father and Donald Trump. Please welcome back to Liberty University, Mr. Donald Trump.
9: It's an honor to be here, and especially on Martin Luther King Day. It's an amazing story what's gone on with Liberty University. I mean, uh, what Jerry has done. We've done great with the evangelicals. The evangelicals have been amazing. And we're going to protect Christianity. And I can say that. I don't have to be politically correct. We're going to protect it. You know? And I, I asked Jerry and I asked some of the folks, because I hear this is a major theme right here, but two Corinthians, right? Two Corinthians 3:17. That's the whole ball game. Where the spirit of the Lord, right? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And here there is Liberty College, but Liberty University. But <laughs> it is so true. You know, when you think, and that's really is that the one? Is that the one you like? I think that's the one you like, because I loved it. And it's so representative of what's taken place.
2: Despite the students in attendance laughing at Trump's faux pas, referring to Second Corinthians as two Corinthians, eight days later, Falwell Jr. officially endorsed Donald Trump, the first major evangelical figure to do so. Falwell, looking to avoid nonprofit violations, said his endorsement was personal and not a reflection of the school even though later he was introduced at the 2016 RNC as president of Liberty University. Trump tweeted, "'Great honor, Reverend Jerry Falwell Jr. of Liberty University, one of the most respected religious leaders in our nation, has just endorsed me.'" Falwell Jr. isn't a reverend, nor has he claimed to be a religious leader, but his endorsement gave Trump a huge lift, which helped him win the Republican nomination and ultimately, the presidency. Here's Professor Randall Bomber again. Jerry Falwell Jr.'s endorsement of Donald Trump gave Trump a kind of
6: veneer of religious legitimacy that, frankly, he could never have (laughs) concocted for himself. That certainly took me by surprise, especially because this is a movement that claims to be concerned about family values. Think about that for a moment. You cannot have a movement professing to be Advocating family values and then endorse Donald Trump as as your leader. I mean, you can't do that. It's not plausible. This is a man who can't even fake religious fluency. And for Jerry Falwell Jr., with his position as president of Liberty University, but also his name being his father's son, gave Trump a kind of cover for seeking out votes from the religious right. That was an
2: enormously important endorsement. Dr. Bomber certainly wasn't alone in his surprise. Here again is Ted Cruz's communications director, Rick Tyler. I read in the newspaper that he endorsed Donald Trump.
4: And so I sent him a nasty text because, you know, he was a good Christian and got on the phone and lied straight to my ear. You know, it was so he didn't tell me the truth. He could have just said, I'm not going to endorse your candidate. I would have respected it for that. But, you know, he made up a story about his board not allowing him to endorse, and then he turned around and did exactly what he said he wasn't going to do.
2: The move left Tyler, and so many others, looking for answers to the question of why such a prominent voice of the religious right would support a thrice-married man credibly accused of sexual misconduct by 26 women. Who'd also, by the way, back in 2012, told the Liberty students to get a prenup and to get even with adversaries.
4: It could be a number of things. It could be exactly what I said, which is that he knew that he wasn't going to endorse Cruz and he was probably going to hold out for Trump and he just couldn't you know, man up and tell me the truth. Or there may be something else, and I don't know what that would be. When you're dealing with Donald Trump and Michael Cohen, anything's possible.
2: To answer the question of why Falwell Jr. made his surprising endorsement of Donald Trump, we should hear from the man who claims he brought him to the table. So
7: how did the amoral Trump come to be beloved by evangelical voters? A question that remains one of the abiding mysteries to this day?
2: That's Michael Cohen. Well, not his actual voice, but his own words from the audio version of his book, Disloyal. Cohen says it began with a gathering of the country's evangelical leaders in Trump Tower back in 2011. Trump was testing the waters of a potential presidential run and looking to forge ties with this important group. Cohen says Trump had them all fooled with his fake piety when they laid their hands on him in prayer. Later, Cohen writes that Trump said to him, Can you believe that bullshit?
7: referring to the ritual and the evangelicals. Can you believe people
2: believe that bullshit? But out in the hallway, after the meeting, Cohen says he met Jerry and Becky Falwell. I fell into a
7: conversation with the couple that would provide the first flutter of a wave to the butterfly wing flapping that rippled outward and led to the devout and undying devotion to Trump of millions of evangelicals that still mystifies so many Americans. Justin Bieber was the catalyst.
2: According to Cohen, the Falwells wanted to take their 12-year-old daughter, Caroline, to a Justin Bieber concert but they needed tickets. Cohen, being the fixer, as he liked to call himself, took care of it. We're friends for life, he says Jerry said to him. Of course, with Michael Cohen, favors have a price tag.
7: The impact this tiny favor would have on the world was the furthest thing from my mind. But it would indeed come to matter. Part of the art to being a fixer was never, ever asking for anything in return. For myself, that is. For others, I was more than happy to call in a chit or IOU or however you want to describe the sense of obligation that comes from granting your tween daughter her greatest wish in life, a moment in the presence of the Biebs. This particular favor, and another of greater significance, would come due in 2016 to the enormous benefit, not of me, but the political prospects of candidate Donald Trump.
2: Cohen says he and the Falwells became very close. So close, in fact, that he says later, Jerry Falwell called him about a very sensitive matter.
7: This situation began with a phone call, as so many did for me as a fixer, from Jerry Falwell Jr., telling me a story that stretched back years to a visit he and his wife had taken to Miami. They'd stayed at the five-star Fontainebleau Hotel, and the pair had become friendly with a kid working at the pool. Jerry called him a pool boy. He said they'd stayed in touch with the pool boy and talked about helping him finance a business with an investment in real estate. Jerry didn't fill me in on all the details— only that a deal was never consummated and the relationship ended with hard feelings. The kid had filed a lawsuit, Jerry said, but that wasn't why he'd called me, as I knew. I wasn't the lawyer you called to help with litigation. I was the lawyer you called when you had a problem that needed to be solved or made to go away. This is personal, Jerry said. Jerry continued in a sheepish voice that, somehow, the pool boy had come into possession of photographs he'd taken on his phone. Jerry said that the terrible thing was that the pool boy was now threatening to shop the photographs to publications as a way to pressure the Falwells to settle the lawsuit on favorable terms.
2: Cohen said the pool boy had sued Falwell and was extorting him with photos. Back to Cohen's conversation with Tom Arnold.
8: Even the Falwells, who I brought to the table.
2: Yes,
5: you did. Um, you did.
8: wanted to support.
5: Right. Well, you definitely brought the Falwells, and you definitely, with that, I mean, you did the deal with uh, the, pool, uh, the yeah, pool board.
8: You're wrong about that. It's the reason why I'm calling. Okay, you, got right. Right. Uh, because, you know. I'll share it with you. Yeah. But you know, and, and I and I have the proof on it too. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of photographs, you know, personal photographs that somehow the 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 guy ended up getting. Oh. Whether it was off of Jerry's phone or somehow maybe it got airdropped or whatever the hell the whole thing was. And they're, you know, photos. Mm. Photos between husband and wife. Yes. You know, the evangelicals are kinkier than Tom Arnold.
2: Cohen writes in his book that he took care of things, saying he, quote, went for the jugular with the pool boy's lawyer to get rid of the photos. Catch and kill,
7: I thought. But in this case, it was just going to be kill. I called Becky and reassured her that the pictures wouldn't get out. But I could hear the sadness and fear in her voice. I reassured her that I wouldn't let her down, and I didn't.
2: But on his call with Arnold, Cohen tips his hand. He says he didn't get rid of all of the photos.
8: I actually have one of the photos, you know, um, and it's 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 terrible. Even though she's a she's a very nice figure, um, you know, it, it, nobody wants that. No. You
5: know,
6: they have private photos, but especially now when you have children and now oh, grandchildren. Geez. So my heart
2: went out for Becky and I have them, you know, I I love them. They were like family to me. Here's Tom Arnold again.
5: That conversation, I was in Ottawa, uh, Canada filming a movie, and I immediately went down that weekend to New York to spend uh, one-on-one time with him. I could tell he had a lot more to say. I needed to know exactly why Jerry Falwell had decided suddenly to support Donald Trump. And he specifically said that he had told Jerry, I don't have to remind you how big I came up for you when you had that situation with all the pictures and it would have been just terrible, awful for you and your wife and your family. And I helped you with that. And now I'm asking you to please Show me the same respect, do me a favor, please support Donald Trump.
2: Finally, Cohen memorializes his success in getting rid of the photos by ending the Falwell story in his book with this. There it was, my
7: second chit with the Falwells. In good time, I would call in this favor, not for me, but for the boss at a crucial moment on his journey to the presidency.
5: Michael Cohen 100% believes that it was him and believes that it was this moment when he got Jerry Falwell Jr. to suddenly support Trump that propelled him into the White House. And I don't disagree.
2: Gangster capitalism reached out repeatedly to Jerry and Becky Falwell to participate in this season. And after a lengthy conversation, in which Jerry and Becky were eager to tell their story themselves, and not through PR people, they agreed to do an interview. Then, we were contacted by their PR people. And after a conversation with them, we were informed that the Falwells would not participate. But, then we received a message directly from Jerry saying that we could email him questions. Which, of course, we did. And then we heard back from his PR people again, saying that they, not the Falwells, would be providing answers to our questions, but only on the condition that we reported on them coming from, quote, someone familiar to the situation. After reminding his PR people that Jerry himself has called anonymous sources cowardly, we, of course, declined. And then finally, we were sent responses to our written questions from Becky, answering on Jerry's behalf. One of which was that Michael Cohen never blackmailed Jerry to gain his support of Trump. All of this serves to indicate the Falwell's attempt to gain control of a story that has spiraled out of control. But our story is just getting started. On the next episode of Gangster Capitalism, Giancarlo Granda also known as the pool boy, tells his story. We talked for a bit, I relaxed,
6: and then we went upstairs, and Jerry was laying on the bed. He was laying on the bed, he
2: was drunk, and
6: he was giggling. He's like, just go for
2: it. But there's also another young man in this story who's managed to remain out of the public eye. And wait till you hear what he has to say.
5: I'm with Ricardo and Becky, and then he leaves and goes to see Jerry. I stay with Becky at night. We hang out, whatever you know, things
9: happen, and, and that's how that went on.
2: And later this season on Gangster Capitalism,
3: it's a culture of absolute loyalty at all costs.
2: If you wanted to discuss something or expose something that was
7: not in line with their projected narrative, you were now the enemy.
3: It's a classic case
6: of insiders misusing a religious charitable organization for their own benefit.
2: I did not want anyone at Liberty to know I was gay. I must not tell anyone, otherwise I don't know what could happen. I could no longer tell black and brown students to come to this institution that I knew would cause them harm. They say we have
1: one of the safest campuses in America, but I wasn't safe. I wasn't safe anywhere at all.
2: If you have any tips about Jerry Falwell Jr. or Liberty University, you can contact us at tips at gangstercapitalism.com or our tip line 347-674-6980 we can ensure anonymity this has been a creation and presentation of c13 originals a cadence 13 studio executive produced by chris corcoran zach levitt and myself written produced and directed by zach levitt produced by perry kroll and myself research and production support by ian mont Editing by Perry Kroll and Bill Schultz. Mixed and mastered by Bill Schultz. Production coordination by Terrence Malingone. Studio coordination by Sean Cherry. Artwork and design by Kurt Courtney. Marketing by Brian Swarth, Josephina Francis, and Melissa Wester. And PR by Hilary Shuff. Original music by Joel Goodman. And our theme song, Your Sins Will Find You Out, is by Eli Paperboy Reed.